If you've been in business for any length of time, you have definitely heard of the concept of ideal clients or an ideal client avatar. But how do you use the concept of an ideal client to actually grow your business? Hi, I'm Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and a designer. I'm an expert in crafting brands that help people like you sign more clients and grow your business with integrity and class. I'm here today with my sister, Abby. Hi, everyone. And we're going to be talking about ideal clients. And I really hope that I'll be able to share some things that will help you refine and elevate your ideal client and get more of your ideal clients paying you for your products or programs or services. You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name is Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. So I want to start with the basics, but please bear with me because I really am going to take this somewhere that people don't talk about. But let's start with just what is an ideal client? So. Abby, how would you describe an ideal client not being an entrepreneur? Yeah, not running my own business or selling a product. When I think of an ideal client, I think of somebody who's prepared, who is able and willing to pay on time, Mm -hmm. and who understands the value of your services and respects your expertise. So in, in my field, that's kind of what's important. A lot of lawyers, you're working with a group of other professionals. Mm -hmm. So I don't have at this stage of my career, a lot of, I'm not doing like a lot of recruiting or selling directly to clients, Mm -hmm. but in my, even in my work, you interact with them a lot. Mm -hmm. And if they don't pay you, you can't help them. Mm -hmm. If they pay you, but they're resentful about it, that's also not good. Yes. And if they make, you have to ask legal clients for a lot of personal information and they have to cooperate. Mm Because whatever you're doing is typically under their name. Right. So if they are not cooperating with that, or they're reticent to give you information, or they don't understand why you're asking the questions that you are, all of that makes your job more difficult and take more time. So that's the profile that matters in my work, but it might be different depending on your field. That doesn't tell you anything about their demographic information, their personality, needs, or preferences. That's mostly just how they interface with me. (laughs) Right. So there's a famous example from the Kellogg School of Management where there's a case that they give new students and they say, you are a hot dog stand owner okay, and you can pick one thing to increase the sales of your hot dog stand. What, What do you need? What would, you know, sky's the limit. What do you need? And so students say, okay, well, I'm going to have the best quality hot dogs or I'm going to be on a really busy street corner. I'm going to look for the best, you know, condiments or the yeah. best price or whatever. I'm going to get a celebrity endorsement for right. my all hot dogs. Of, yeah, all of these different things that you can do to sell your hot dogs. And the story goes, the professor says like, you're all wrong. The number one thing that you need to sell hot dogs is a hungry crowd. Interesting. If the people aren't hungry, they're not buying hot dogs. Yeah. And so the way that I think about ideal clients is not just people who like hot dogs. Yeah. Not even people who are interested in hot dogs or have tried hot dogs before and Mm -hmm. like them, but people who are actively hungry today to buy a hot dog. And that's really what I kind of want to focus on. So 
in the marketing world, your ideal client is just the definition of the people that you market to. And the idea or the benefit of having an ideal client is that the more specific you can be, the better you can understand them, the better you can speak to them. Okay. And the idea is not to speak to people who aren't hungry. The idea is to speak to people who are hungry Mm. and to understand what they really want. So you don't spend a lot of time saying, if you were hungry, don't you think you'd want a juicy hot dog? Right. Right. I think there is a place for that kind of marketing. Right. But that's really not what my work is about. Branding specifically is not just about if if you search on Pinterest, you know, like I'm doing some research for this podcast and everything is like identifying your ideal client, clarifying your ideal client. And I feel like that is kind of surface level. Yeah. Like it's important to know who your ideal client is, but really what branding does is branding helps you understand your ideal client and connect with them on a deeper level, like on a very personal level. Interesting. Where you're speaking to somebody's not just, they happen to be in town and they're walking by my hot dog stand, but they have a deep aching hunger for my hot dogs. Right. Right. So I had an example of this because my client, Sarah Brewer is a coach for men. I would say men like 18 to 30 or maybe slightly older who have a pornography problem they want to address. And the assumption sometimes in defining your ideal client is that you have to go deeper into the problem. The more serious the problem is, the better that will be. But actually for her, we found that it was the opposite. So her ideal clients weren't people who had a really serious pornography problem. Interesting. And her messaging kind of became, if you're addicted to pornography, I'm not the coach for you. Yeah. But if you look at porn once a month and you're beating yourself up over it, Mm -hmm. I can help you conquer that problem and also just feel better about it in the meantime. Right. So another example of that is my client Colette Hall. She found that her ideal clients weren't struggling at all. Interesting. Where it really wasn't about finding the pain point and like twisting the knife deeper. She was like, the whole point is that my ideal clients aren't struggling and they can't figure out why they still don't feel happy. Interesting. They have a good life. They have a good business, but they're so stressed and they they can't figure it out. Is there some sort of, is there crossover here with like Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Definitely. That, you know, traditional, traditional stuff is like basic needs, right? Food, mm-hmm. shelter, yeah, water, you find a lack and then you fill that with a product or a service. Yes. But it sounds like for some of your clients, it's actually these higher order, mm-hmm. like self-actualization, mm-hmm. like happiness, mm-hmm. lack relationships. Of relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just kind of depends on what the product is or the whatever it is that you're selling. Right. And usually when I'm building the brands, I kind of tell my clients, like, we need to figure out both. We need to figure out what the tangible low level thing is right. that like what what is their actual need and we also need to tap into the intangible fuzzy feelings that they want or that they are trying to avoid okay so let me give you my criteria for who your ideal client actually is because before we started recording Abby was like so what is my ideal client just millionaires right as someone who is not in the entrepreneurship world, when mm-hmm. I think of an ideal client, I'm like, okay, everybody's going to have the same ideal client. Right. The ideal client is rich, wants to throw money away, <laughs> would be happy for you to do everything, always wants more of you. Yes. But is super pleasant and always available. Like, yes. All of those things will meet my needs, but that doesn't actually tell me anything about 
who right. they are, what they want. Right. And this is skipping ahead a little bit, but if the information that you are creating or finding about your ideal client doesn't help you speak to them on a deeper level, then it's not useful. Okay. So here's here's my criteria and I'll get more into that. I have basically three things. Number one in your ideal client is people you would most like to work with. Okay. So that's going to be largely based on your preferences, right? Your personality, your experience, who are the people that you get along with best? Second thing is people who are most likely to get the best results from your work, from your offer. Okay. So that's going to vary. And that may vary from offer to offer, right? Right. I have my one-on-one services that are for a specific type of business owner. And then I have a high level creative partnership that's for a business owner that's a little bit farther along path, right? Right. So that's going to depend. So we have people you want to work with, people who are going to get the best results from your work. And the last thing is people who are ready, able, and willing to buy. Very important. And these aren't one or the other. It's not a hierarchy. It's a Venn diagram and you have Mm -hmm. this sweet spot that you have to find. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make in the beginning is they're able to solve a problem for people who aren't willing to pay for the solution. That sounds, yeah, that would be hard. You're solving a problem that nobody cares enough about to pay for. Right, right. And there are a lot of problems that I have in my life. There are only a few things that I pay for somebody else to figure out. When you really think about it, most things I can figure out how to do on my own. Or I think of, this is this is not a shaming of no. anybody who has purchased this product, but there are some things that are just, that's not really a problem. Right. I don't need the drawer full of Ziploc bags to look good. Right. In my life, maybe for some people, that's right. a high priority pain point. I would love to get to the point where that's my worst problem. <laughs> but right now I'm like, okay, cool. You have created something that I don't, I'm not going to spend money on that. Right. I'm not going to put my plastic bags in a cardboard (laughs) container in a drawer. It's in a drawer. (laughs) I think what they're actually doing there is slightly different where maybe they're doing like a cheesy infomercial where it's like, oh, the bags are just exploding out of the drawer. (laughs) But I think more likely they're speaking to an aspirational desire. Mm-hmm. I want to be the kind of person who like has the aesthetic pantry and my drawers are organized. But they can also get away with that because the product is cheap, right? If it was a thousand dollars to get that thing in your drawer, you'd be like, yeah, I don't care that much. Yeah. But when you see a bunch of influencers talk about it and they have a life that you think looks good. Right. And then they link it and it's only $17 on Amazon you buy it. Somebody late at night is going to buy it, but it's not going to be me. It hasn't hasn't been me. Okay. So let's talk about, I want to go deeper into these three criteria. Okay. Okay. And my ideal clients have had experience with their own clients. And so if if you don't have past clientele that you can think back on Mm -hmm. to say like, I don't know who I'd most likely work with, you're at a different phase. And I would say for you, just start working with clients. Okay. Don't be as picky. Try to narrow it down in some way, but don't worry so much about it because you'd need more experience to be able to determine what kind of clients you'd like to work with. Okay. But for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to assume that you have enough experience to say, I know what I like and what I don't like. And this is where you kind of get some basic demographic information, right? So what kind of industry are they in? Mm -hmm. How long have they been doing it? What kind of experience do they have? 
what was the impetus for them hiring you, right? Some of these things you can start talking through. When you think about who have I liked working with in the past, what I like to ask myself is, okay, the clients that I loved working with, I had a client named Lisa and she operates a business for special needs high school students to transition to college and independent living. Oh, wow. And we just really hit it off. She was so great to work with. So I thought a lot about like, okay, what was it about her that made her my ideal client? Because like she could pay me, obviously, but lots of my clients can pay me. So what was it? So the question that I'd like to ask is what do they value most? Okay. And for Lisa and for my other ideal clients, a pattern that I found is that they feel very called to their business. Interesting. It's not something that they're doing to make a buck. Although profitability is really important to them, they're doing it because they feel called to it. They feel like they have a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel like a lot of times resources have become available and this is what they want to do. What I've seen also in talking to you about your business is mm-hmm. a lot of the the people you work with are, they're not just passionate about frivolous things. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with someone who you know, wants to make a kitchen very aesthetically beautiful. Right. Maybe that's not something that's of high value to me, but trying to get special needs individuals from high school to Mm -hmm. independent living, that's something that is really intrinsically meaningful Mm -hmm. and valuable. Yeah. And so I I would say that they're service-minded also, interested in their work and feeling called to it. They're called to it because it's meaningful, not just like, I happen to have a talent for knitting doilies and this this is my passion in life. I think you would feel differently. Like, I think you could do a great job for a doily client, but that yes. is different from the the service providers you're working with who are really meeting these deep needs. Yes. I would say in addition to that, my clients are very deep thinkers mm-hmm. and they really care that their brand is deep and that it's not just surface level. Right. I do a, like a brand archetype exercise with my clients. And a lot of times they are either like the caregiver archetype because they are service people um, or they are the sage archetype. So the last thing that I found with my ideal clients in terms of what they value is they value mastery. And what this means is that they are constantly learning and improving and working on their craft. So many of my clients are coaches and they have coaches of their own. And they really try to walk the walk and do the things that will help them be the best coach they can be and not just sell their services really well. And so those are things that are outside of a specific niche or industry, but are very specific to my ideal clients and help me speak to them in a really powerful way. It's not just about having people. It's about having the right people. And it's about knowing exactly what they want from you and communicating that in a way that makes them want to buy it. So I'm just going to backtrack a tiny bit because here's what I want to say about the premise of identifying your ideal client as a marketing tool before I dive into my philosophy on ideal clients, which is a lot of people will talk about ideal clients in terms of demographics and psychographics. And demographics is like who they are, it's like, like age, yeah, race, how old they gender. are, where they're from. And then psychographics is what kind of music do they listen to? What kind of car do they drive? Buyer kind of choices. And do you think some of that is driven by 
the days long ago where the only information available were these consumer reports. So you would see like, yes, I can only see what magazines they subscribe to. Yes. And so that tells me something, but it's a surface level kind of thing. Yes. I think before social media, it was kind of hard to really know what your ideal clients, quote unquote, or even like your current customers, like your paying customers actually thought about and did in their day-to-day lives. And so yet you relied on, well, what other things do they buy? How much money do we think they make? And so I think we just have a lot more information and it's a lot deeper Yeah, because I do talk about demographics and psychographics with my own clients. That is part of my brand strategy process. But that's like the surface level question that kind of gets us started, right? Yeah. So I'm like, if you know that they all have one specific job, for example, if your ideal client is real estate agents, right? Okay, then let's talk about that. But a lot of times your ideal client doesn't have to be based on those demographic type things. It can be a lot more personal, personality-based, value-based. I often talk about values in branding because I think you can connect with people on a deeper level when you are connecting with them on like their values and their identity and their beliefs versus just like, well, and they probably listen to top 40 hits. Right. You know, it's like that, that doesn't really tell me anything about who they are. So we talked about kind of my three criteria for defining your ideal client, which is the people you would most like to work with, people you're most who are most likely to get the best results from your work and people who are ready, able, and willing to buy. And so I just wanted to talk through how you actually do that. I mentioned we want to start with who you have worked with in the past and what you have liked about working with them and what do they value most. And sometimes it's really good to think about what was it about them that made them a good fit for your services. So like, where were they in their life? Where were they in their business, right? That makes them a great candidate for what you do. One thing that I find a lot, and I'm sure that you will recognize this when I talk about it, is this concept of, well, my ideal clients are moms. So I'm going to create content about being a mom. Okay. And I actually don't think that is a great idea unless they are buying from you as a mom. So let me explain that a little bit better. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. If you are a baby sleep consultant, you are speaking to your ideal clients in their capacity as a mom, right? right? Mm-hmm. But as a brand strategist, lots of my clients are moms, but they're not buying from me as a mom. They're buying from me as a business owner. So mm-hmm. I speak to them in their role as a business owner. Okay. And I think I can show my personality in like my real life as a mom. But I think sometimes we go so far down this path of my ideal clients are moms and they have kids. So like I have to create content about going back to school. And I think you need to kind of narrow in what do I say to them in the role that they are buying from me? Okay. So like them being a mom is only relevant if it changes the way that you sell to them or what you're selling, or if that's a core feature of what they need from you. Otherwise, I would say, don't make that a pillar of your marketing. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is people who are most likely to get the best results from your work and people who are ready and willing to buy from you. 
So when you're thinking about people who can get the best results from your work, you actually have to know what they have struggled with in the past and what and how, well, let me say this. You actually have to know what they have struggled with in the past and how long they have struggled with it and how important it is to fix. How like how urgent the problem is. How urgent the problem is and what level of investment they're willing to make to solve the problem. Okay. Right. And so this is a really good differentiator depending on how you kind of want to position your business. But are your ideal clients people who want to do it themselves? Are you trying to sell something that is a DIY solution? Yeah. Right? That's a good point. Like a course. But if you are selling something that is a white glove service, you don't want to speak to people who are looking for the DIY solution or who only want that level of solution, right? Right. And so a lot of times they'll talk about something like speaking to a sophisticated problem or a sophisticated customer. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, if you are only talking to people who aren't making money or are struggling to sign clients, but you're offering like a full service kind of offer, that's going to be a mismatch for who they are. Which brings me to another point that I wanted to make about, I think one of the things that people really want to know is how do I find clients? And I don't love the term finding clients because I think it's kind of disempowering. I think it's much better to say creating clients. Mm. And I think when you have a good brand, that is what you're doing. You are creating clients. So can you explain that a little bit more? Because it sounds to me like, obviously, these people already (laughs) exist, right? You cannot create them like you make Frankenstein to be like, I'm looking for a client. I'm going to make one out of dead body parts. Right. I think intellectually what you're saying kind of makes sense, but I'd be curious to hear what that method looks like for you because these are real people. Yes, they are real people. What I mean by that is that I don't think that these people are different than the people that you're already speaking to. I think that they are already people that your ideal clients are people who are already in your world Mm. in a lot of ways. And I also think that we kind of think of them as these two separate things. There's my marketing and there's my ideal clients. And I actually think that creating your ideal clients means that you are bringing those two things together and you're saying, who are the people that I'm talking to right now and what do they need? And creating my ideal clients from them rather than trying to say like, I have this product and then I'm going to take it to my ideal clients. Right. And part of that is also just my belief about what branding does most successfully, which is attracts people to you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're somebody who, wants to spend a ton of money on pitching partnerships or running Facebook ads, those kinds of things. I think that's great. But branding is much more about you shining your light and bringing people to you and allowing them to really resonate with what you're saying. And then that creates clients. What I mean by creating your ideal clients is not just that you're creating clients out of nowhere, but that you teach your audience what to buy from you and how to buy it based on how you talk to them. That That is a much better explanation. Thank you. So when you talk to your audience in a really... Maybe can I, since I don't work with your clients and therefore don't know how they interact. Yeah. What My question actually ties into this, which is, have you ever worked with someone where there's a total mismatch between what they think their ideal clients should be and the audience that they have? Oh. Where they're like, I don't want my work to be 
gendered. I want to work with both men and women. I want to work with professionals of a cer- certain caliber. Yeah. Say like, I'm, I'm thinking maybe of someone who does something similar to your, your systems consultant uh-huh. who's creating systems, which is something that's transferable across industries, mm-hmm. but maybe her audience is only women who are like s- starting new businesses. Mm-hmm. So I can see there's a situation in which someone could talk to think they're reaching their audience and coming at it at the correct level. Uh-huh. But actually their tone is coming across as maybe a little patronizing mm-hmm. or maybe just like not sophisticated for the actual clients they want to attract, but this is the audience that they have. And so they're trying to juggle those two things. Yes. Well, and that goes back to what we talked about before, which is, do you speak to the audience that you have or the audience that you want to have? Right. And you know, that I believe that you speak to the audience and the clients that you want to have. And that's when I say you can create your ideal clients, that's what I mean. Right. Like that'd be aspiration. Yeah. You create content for the type of clients that you want to follow you and hire you. Um, and what I see more often, well, okay, I see both of these things where I have seen businesses who speak really, really high level, so high level that they're not actually talking specifics enough yeah. to their clients. And so that doesn't work because people don't really understand what it is. It just seems like lofty and aspirational and expensive. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, I've seen business owners who create offers really casually and frequently, and they do discounts all the time and they pivot frequently. And what they are doing is they are creating ideal, they are creating ideal clients or creating clients who pivot often, Mm -hmm. who are always looking for a sale, who change their mind frequently. And so if you feel like those are the kinds of people that you're attracting, just ask yourself, how have I been teaching my audience to buy from me? Am I teaching them to expect a sale? I, yeah. My audience knows I don't do sales ever and because that's the, not my brand. The people selling to me know that I only buy stuff on sale and I do expect it. Right. Right. You know, different industries have different standards, quote unquote. Right. But even in like a retail industry, you can see how this changes. Lululemon sells 95% of their products at full price, which is like unheard of in retail Yeah, because they have taught their ideal clients how to buy from them. Mm -hmm. You come, you expect to pay full price. You expect a certain type of experience. We're not creating tons of new products or new patterns all the time. Our clothing is very simple. It's very functional. Supposed to be durable too. Supposed to be durable, last forever. And it's a status symbol. Lululemon is absolutely a status symbol. And so over time, right, this is not something that you can do overnight, but over time, your clients learn how to buy from you and they will, I mean, I even get people who will message me and say, I'm saving up to work with you, right? That's really cool. And I know people do the same thing when they're buying Lululemon leggings, Mm -hmm. saving up for my next pair of leggings, right? So that's what I mean when I say. Yeah, I think the useful framework for me, Mm -hmm. and this may be redundant, but I think it's helpful to clarify like, yeah. Creating your ideal audience isn't just, I'm going to make up new people or I'm going to, you know, move my business to a new place where I think people will be attracted to me, but it's, it's teaching your existing audience what to expect for you. It's, it's managing expectations and it's educating them. Yes, absolutely. And I think there's different trends on social media. I think there used to be a lot more education that happened on like Instagram. And now we've kind of moved towards just like behind the scenes process type content. 
Interesting. But I still think there is a place for educational type content like this podcast, Mm -hmm. where hopefully I am communicating the value and the strategy behind what I do and showing my ideal clients that I understand what they want and they learn what what it should look like to buy from me. The last thing that I want to talk about is elevating your ideal client. And this is important because many times when my clients come to me, they want a better brand because they want to attract what I call higher clientele, which basically just means I want to raise my prices and I don't want people to have objections about the price. I want people to see who I am and understand immediately that it's probably more expensive and that it's a quality product. And to do that, we really have to elevate the ideal client and we have to stop speaking to people who don't have complex problems that need your help solving them and we need to speak to more complex problems. And I also think some of that is just expanding your expanding your network. People who feel like you owe them a favor or that because you're in your network, they mm-hmm. can give you their business as kind of like a, a little perk, maybe a quid pro quo. Right. Those people feel like they still should have some say in what happens. But mm-hmm. when you're at an arm's length transaction, mm-hmm. people understand that you contract for it. This is what I'm giving you. This is what I'm getting in return. Right. And that requires you to kind of reach outside of just people that know you personally. Right. Because their expectations are different. Right. I really, this is a side note, but I really think that having a brand, like a recognizable image and colors and like great photography is one of the ways that you help people know you without knowing you personally. Yeah. So like it allows you to grow a business faster because you don't have to like nurture relationships one by one. That makes sense. And it can still be like an authentic relationship. It's just faster. And brands can't, you've said this a lot, Rebecca believes that brands can have personality. Oh yeah. But that's different from feeling like- I feel like you say that as if I believe that everyone has a spirit animal. Like that's such a weird belief. Rebecca has some weird beliefs. Rebecca believes she has synesthesia. I don't believe that. I know that. Rebecca believes she has synesthesia. What I meant is that your brand doesn't have to be boring and sterile yeah. to be elevated. Yes. But that your brand can go beyond you as a person because eventually you're going to stop selling just to your college roommates and your aunts. Yes. You're going to sell to strangers and you need to be able to communicate with them quickly who you are, what you value, and what worth you, you're going to provide to them. Yes, quickly and professionally. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you an example of this because sometimes we use words like elevate and it sounds really pretty, but it's like, okay, but like, how do I actually do that? So the image that I want to give you in your mind is when you are hoping to elevate your ideal client, which is like to rise or to go higher, what I actually want you to do is to go deeper into your ideal client's problems and desires. So I want to use an example of my client, Modern Sleep Mama. She is a baby sleep consultant. And for a long time, she has just been sharing really great educational content for basically moms who want their babies to sleep better. And that on its own is fine. And is valuable. And it, and is valuable. Absolutely. I'm not saying that that's not valuable, but I'm saying in the framework of elevating your ideal client by going deeper, what can we know or assume is really important to them? This is kind of the process that we went through. Shanna's clients really dread nighttime and not just nighttime, any time that they have to put their baby down to sleep, they feel a little bit of anxiety over it. Mm-hmm. They, We've all been yes. there. <laughs> they don't have a plan. 
It feels chaotic. They feel overstimulated. And what they really want is not just their baby to sleep better, right? Like that's like surface level stuff. Why do they want their baby to sleep better? So that they can go to sleep. Okay. Like like what is it? What is it that they get when they put their baby down at night and they just go to sleep on their own, right? That independent sleep. Well, as we're talking about this, she says, well, they, they get alone time and they get time with their husband or wife, usually their husband, moms, right? Okay. What does Shanna have as the modern sleep mama brand that she can give to them? Okay. So we talked about that. She has this, not just like effective nighttime routine, but a really beautiful and inspiring nighttime routine. Mm. She takes her babies outside. She rocks to them. She sings to them. She puts them in their cute pajamas. She cooks their hair. They have a little nighttime phrase. It's something, you know, something short, like night, night. I love you. Night, night. I love you. They have their lovey. She leaves the room. So the deeper problem of this nighttime dread and this deeper desire of, I want alone time, right? And I don't just want alone time where I'm just crashing on the couch at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. but I actually would love a nighttime routine that feels life-giving and beautiful and like an opportunity for connection with my baby. Yeah. And Shanna shows them how to do that. So it's it's quiet, it's simple, and it's aesthetically pleasing. So it feels very elevated and it feels aspirational. Like this is what this is what bedtime could look like if I can teach you how to put your baby to sleep. Very little of that is actually about the baby sleeping better. But that's the surface level problem that we're talking about. In order to elevate her ideal client, we really had to dive deeper into what it was specifically that they wanted and how we could talk about that and how we could show that. What I like about that example is that it doesn't just focus on if you are looking for your ideal clients, you need to really hone in on the problem mm-hmm. and you need to find people who are more desperate yes, or more anxious about solving this problem and will just throw like throw money at anybody. Mm-hmm. But it really is about getting to these core desires and mm-hmm. you can brand it very differently when you're trying to show someone leading by example, as mm-hmm. opposed to just fear mongering and doubling down on yes. how horrible sleep is. And if you don't, if you don't buy this course, right. you'll never sleep again. Right. And that might be effective to a certain demographic, but also in the long run, right? no one's going to want to follow you because your content will be so triggering. <laughs> right. Well, and not to make this totally meta, but that stuff does work, but my ideal clients hate it and they don't, they don't want to be marketed to that way. And they never, ever, ever want to market their business that way. Yeah. And so I think to them being able to say, Hey, let's find the deeper root of your ideal clients problems and show them the solution in a way that's not fear-mongering, that's not shaming them, that's not embarrassing them, but really just inspiring them. And that, A, works a lot better and feels a lot better to my clients. Yeah. And like we were saying at the beginning, there's an easy assumption that the worse your problem is, the better you can sell. And meaning the problem that your service is trying to fix. Right, right. So like the worse your baby sleeps or like the worse you can make it seem, the people who are really struggling, like the better that is, that may not be your ideal client, first of all. And also, I don't really think it's about how hard the struggle is. I think it's about how specific you can speak about the problem. Interesting. Like specificity to me is better than extreme pain. Yeah. Makes level sense. of desperation. Yes. Yeah. Specificity is better to me than the level of desperation. Mm-hmm. So now to take us totally off track, but I am curious for 
for people who are not in the service industry where they're selling something that is concrete, mm-hmm. like a physical product, like, like a widget, for example, just a casual widget. How important is it for those people to know who they're selling to? Because the process is very different, right? If you have to work with someone mm-hmm. and coach them through something or, you know, have a lot of repeated contact, you your preferences might factor into it more. Mm-hmm. If you're just selling something, do you formulate this in a different way? I think the branding part of it is the same. Okay. Like the understanding of their problems and their desires on like a really specific level. I think that's all the same, but I think the way that you market it might be different. Right. Because instead of creating like educational or aspirational content, you're going to be creating more stereotypical advertising, influencer marketing, you know, just repeating visibility of the product over and over and over again. Mm. I think one thing that's important to note is a cheap product sells with more visibility right? The more times that you see it on a billboard, the more likely you are to buy it. And the stakes are so low. And the stakes are so low, right? Like the $17 Ziploc bag organizer we were talking about. I was thinking of the the rake that's supposed to get all the hair out of your, oh, your yeah. rug or yes, your stairs. You've seen those Instagram ads. Well, and I don't have a pet and I was like, this is $12. Like, why not? Yes. I have also bought one. But visibility alone for an expensive product doesn't do as much. It helps build overall brand recognition, but I think for a high ticket service provider or even a high ticket product to actually get sales, it requires really a a deeper relationship value-based approach. I think that's interesting. When you say that it resonates, it seems true to me, a non-branding expert, but it does make sense that when the stakes are pretty low, you just need it to be saturated. Yeah, it's just exposure. And it's just exposure not that people are objects to be acted on no. and have no agency. And I think you, like there's better exposure and worse exposure, right? Like the carpet product worked because they showed you that it solved a problem right. of getting hair out of your carpet. And to be whatever. clear, I still haven't purchased it. Oh, well, I have. But I did ask Rebecca more than once, like, should I buy this? But other things, if you're going to have to not just make an impulse buy, but you're going to have to save up and invest for something... Mm-hmm. It's going to have to be aspirational mm-hmm. because it's going to take a lot longer for you to be comfortable purchasing it. Absolutely. Exactly. I like that. So I hope some of this is helpful in your quest to create and elevate your own ideal clients. And what I would encourage you to do is not be satisfied with the surface level answers, but really ask yourself, what is it that makes somebody click buy or send the message that says, hey, I want to know more about working with you? And when you really think about that, when you can really kind of channel where they are in their life, in their business, whatever it is, and the more specifically that you can articulate that, the better you'll be able to make more content and marketing speaking to them and selling to them. And if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out to Rebecca. You can see more about the podcast on our Instagram, and you can also see more of Rebecca's work and what it looks like to work with her. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. Bye everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 